Well, people, we got the full Burrios experience tonight. And uh, as it has often been over the past 12 months or so, it was uh, not pretty for the latter innings of the experience. It's actually started off very promising, I think, right? It's some extremely quick half innings for Burrios, a couple of seven-pitch innings. You look down and the, the half inning is over. Maybe you could attribute the first run to some bad luck after Bo effectively kick-saved the ball into right field. But for the most part, I was pleased with what we got from Barrios after two innings. But the problem is, is that Barrios over those past 12 months has been Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And usually he is Jekyll and Hyde in two different outings and not the same game. And yet that is kind of what we got tonight, right? Four innings pitched, even though he did come out for the fifth, didn't record an out. Six hits, six runs, four earned runs, five strikeouts, and one walk. I guess like, I guess the only moral victory to be taken tonight is the high K to walk rate, but I'm not really sure that matters when you're, when you're sinker and four-seamer are getting hit around, right? I mean, his off-speed stuff tonight looked pretty good, I'd say, all things considered. But in the fifth, he gives up the dinger to Rangifo on the sinker, who kind of reminds me, I don't know about you guys, Rangifo kind of reminds me of Teoscar Hernandez a little bit. But he gives up the the, the bomb to Rangifo on the sinker and the single to Taylor Ward on the four-seamer. And and you, you know this, right? As a pitcher, especially as a starting pitcher who's getting paid a lot of money, you simply just have to be able to throw those velo pitches more consistently like he was having some success early on but to end his outing today he uh boy he he let in some stinkers uh welcome to jay's talk after dark brought to you by crown rust protection across the sportsnet radio network streaming live on sportsnet.ca and on the sportsnet app show ali with you taking your calls and texts phone lines are open 416-870-0590 one 590 star 590 on your cellular device 59590 is where you can text me. That is the people's text line, which is always open. And I always say this, but uh, feel free to text during the game as well. We'll get to them all over the course of the evening. Uh, but Burrios is where we're, we're starting tonight. He is the topic of discussion. We get to some other things as well. Bo's defense, Matt Chapman, more positives from Matt Chapman. Terrific stuff from him. But Burrios, it's it's so interesting, right? Like he dotted, you heard Blake talk about it during the game, but the slurv, the slurvy curveball, to which we will simply refer to as the slurve, okay? He dotted that slurve pitch of his at the bottom of the zone on the edges pretty consistently all night long. He got six whiffs and no hard hit balls all night. Great stuff. The fastball, just three whiffs, five hard hit balls. So that would su- seem to support the theory that the off-speed stuff tonight looked great. But the problem, again, again, as as you guys know, as we all well know, you need that fastball to keep batters honest. It was it was a little maddening. I don't know about you guys. It was a little maddening to watch Brios move those pitches around on the edges at the bottom of the zone and then just throw a fastball right down the middle with 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 what what, what was effectively average velo. I, I think it was interesting to also look at him the first time through the order. A heavy dose of breaking balls early. The Angels mostly not swinging or getting got by the slurve and other off-speed pitches. And it is a good pitch. It's a great pitch, frankly. But they saw his fastball and how it wasn't a great pitch. And the second time through, they laid off those off speeds, mostly low in the zone, and they smoked the fastball sinker as much as they could, right? Like, what? what is baffling about Barrios to me is how he was great when he was traded immediately in 2021. Like, immediately following the trade deadline in 21. He was terrific. And then since then, since the beginning of the 2022 season, his first full off season in Toronto, 
and then his first full actual MLB season in Toronto as well completely implodes. Like, is the question I have is, is that only on him? Like, is that just he completely loses command or he has some injury or you're losing several miles of velo, for example? Is that only on Barrios? Is it at least a little bit on Pete Walker? Like, where do you draw that line between what is the organization's quote-unquote fault and what is the the, the player's quote-unquote fault? How much does it have to do with the, the catching situation being a teensy bit in flux with Jansen being sick and, and uh, Kirk probably not being where he wants to be at this point in the season, given his late arrival to spring training. Like I just, I do genuinely wonder what the answer to that question is, because I I don't really know that anyone, probably not even Pete Walker or Jose Barrios have the actual honest to God answers to those questions. Right. I just, I find it wild that a guy with that body of work over a relatively long period of time can turn into a pumpkin so quickly. And, and so soon uh, after joining a, uh, a, a new organization, uh, I'm just looking at the text line here, 590-590, name and location. You are definitely f- uh, free to call me here on the text line. Let's see. I see one here. Uh, Brian in Toronto, Burrios, 11.57 ERA. How much longer can they keep going with him every fifth day? Uh, Bichette fielding before hitting. He kicks a ball for another error. How can they keep going with him at short? I, I'll say this, Brian. I will get to Bichette in a little bit. I don't I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Bichette being the everyday shortstop. Try, trying to steal with Chapman at the dish. Is that him running on his own or the bench making that call? Either way, it was a bad decision. Whether it was Bo making that decision or him being told from the bench to go try and steal second, bad decision with Chapman at the plate. The way, like if Chapman had been struggling up until this point, I'd be like, all right, maybe Bo's just trying to make something happen. Chapman has been phenomenal. Chapman's probably been one of the best players, if, if not the best player from a position player standpoint, man, you know what? I'll, conc- I'll include the pitchers. He's been probably the best player on the team so far through nine games. So I uh, don't love that decision, but on Barrios, how much longer than they keep going with him every fifth day at the very least until Hyunjin Ryu comes back. Right. Like I, I, I don't think you would feel all that uh, good about the blue Jays starting rotation. Let's just say for the sake of this discussion, let's just say Mitch white comes back in the next couple of weeks and he is capable of starting a game as this, like this, the, the Ross Stripling swing man out of the pen type of role goes up and down between the starting rotation and the pen, which is, I think, what a lot of people envisioned uh, as after he was acquired from the Dodgers last year. Let's just say Mitch White is available, and and let let's again say for the sake of this conversation that Mitch White is the guy that replaces Jose Barrios in the rotation. Does that really make you feel confident? It certainly does not make me feel that confident. It's it's kind of strange because Mitch White is effectively the only long guy the Blue Jays have on the on the active roster right now because the other guys are who? Like, I don't know, Trent Thornton, Hatch, Casey Lawrence, I suppose. I guess Bowden Francis, if you really want to go there, but I don't know. It's not none of those guys are getting into the starting rotation. So Mitch White's the only option there. I don't know if that would feel super confident. So it would make me think that other than White. It's pro- the only other option for Brios is Ryu at this point. And Ryu was just transferred to the 60 day IL, which I know was retroactive to some point, but still it would beg the, it was, it seemed to imply that Ryu is not pitching for, um, for at, at least June until June, closer to the all-star break. I do think he pitches before the all-star break at this point, but there's a, there's a real chance. They're very cautious with a, an older guy coming off of Tommy John surgery. Um, on Brios, I gotta say, I don't think it was all bad from beginning to end on the, on the first run that he was charged with. We talk about it and Brian mentioned it, the, the kick save by Bo all the way into right field. It was a mistake. 
obviously an unlucky play, not much to be done about it, but because of that play, Urshela got to third and scored afterwards. And another big test for Brios came in the fourth. Realistically, I, I really do think as bad as the fifth inning and things unraveled for him in the fifth inning, the fourth inning with walking trout and then to Otani, he actually threw, I think it was a changeup just below the zone. If you look at the, like the kind of the, the, the strike zone on MLB.com and you can see, I think it's on baseball savant. You can go and check and see where the pitch actually lands. Otani just clubs that pitch, a ball that was a, a ball that was thrown right below the zone. I think it was actually a pretty good pitch. It, it was, it's just an example of why Otani is a special player because there are not a lot of things Burrios could have done better on that throw, honestly. Like it was a pretty good pitch. Shohei smokes it. Sometimes you have to, to tip the cap, especially to the two best players on the planet. I see here a text. I'm just trying to find it here because you guys are bringing them in fast and furious. So we'll try and read as many <laughs> as possible. Oh, here it is. Tony from Kitchener. Why wasn't Pop used in the space of Simber? As soon as I saw Simber against Trout, I called home run. Schneider needs to make better pitching selection from the bullpen. Barrios had good moments, but he is becoming unlikable. We talked about Barrios. We'll get back to him in a little bit. But the the Simber choice, that is a fascinating choice. And fascinating is is the word I'm I'm choosing to use instead of uh, terrible, (laughs) terrible here. Because Adam, it's it's not because I think Adam Simber is washed by any means. He's actually been pretty reliable for the Jays over his career in Toronto. Maybe like not, yes, no, I like the circle of trust thing. He's not in the bullseye of the circle of trust, but he's pretty darn close. He's maybe in like that inner, just just at the edge of the inner circle of the, the circle of trust. But I've said this many times over the past year and a bit. Simber is a contact pitcher. Like with Mike Trout at the plate, maybe there is not much you can do, but calling someone in to put out fires does not scream, get the contact pitcher out there, stat. That's not what it screams to me. Simber is for sure someone I'd bring in with a clean inning. Maybe you let him do his thing even against dangerous batters for opposing teams at the play, but two guys on and Mike Trout of all guys at the dish, I can't truly figure the decision have Simber be brought uh, be brought out like Garcia Swanson both played yesterday we also saw Jimmy I believe in the Royals series to end that and the series in KC the 6-3 win so maybe Garcia was unavailable after two straight appearances maybe they're being careful it's early in the season April well okay it was April 8th when it happens April 9th here on the west coast now but still Jimmy Garcia Jimmy Garcia was uh he's he's gotten to pitch a lot so maybe they don't want to overwork him as much as as much as possible but i don't know i just i i did not like the decision to bring in simber oddly the the most effective reliever for the jays tonight was probably trevor richards which is wild to say one hit one strikeout for him in an inning of work uh, zach pop probably right behind him in terms of most effective relievers this evening with some quick work but anthony bass who was someone i thought perhaps could have been brought in instead of simber early on Gives up a bomb to Hunter Renfro and, and Whit Merrifield probably helping him out on the play shortly after that. But, you know, if Richards is your best reliever, there's probably a question to ask there. Not about why wasn't it Richards earlier, but more why is that guy in Simber being brought in uh, in that moment? Let's go to the phone lines. 416-870-0590-1-888-666-0590, star 590 on your cellular device. Joey calling in from Toronto. Joey, welcome to JSTOCK. Thanks for uh, staying up late with me. Hey, how are you, man? I'm doing well. How, how are you? Good. Uh, I have a question. I want to know how much of a disadvantage do you think the Jays have not playing at home yet this season? I appreciate the call, Joey. I, I think that is, is it is a disadvantage. It, it can it can it can no longer it can't not be a disadvantage at this point, right? It, it, I know it's it's tough to say a team is road weary after nine games, but not, like I think if because if we were talking about 
let's say nine games on the road. And this was right before the all-star break, right? Like right, this was like early July. And we were talking about, Oh man, I have, I have no doubt we'd, we'd be saying things like, Oh man, the, the blue Jays must be looking forward to getting back to the Rogers center. They must be doing this. They must be doing that. It is kind of tough. I think to say that they are tired at the very beginning of the regular season, but there's no doubt that that road trips are draining on any players. You don't get to be in your regular routine. You don't get to be around your, your certainly your family. I would imagine. I do think that has something to do with it, but boy, the, um, the, the, the pitching has, has left a lot to be desired because you look at the, you look at the batting order today, for example, the top four Springer Bo. Vladdy Chapman, three of those guys hit home runs. Okay. They went, I believe they went what? 10 for 18. The rest of the guys in the lineup outside of the top four over 18. That I think tells a lot of how Barrios got into some trouble in terms of not being able to keep up with the runs that were being given to him by the top four. And then when, when the bullpen gave up the runs a little later on, definitely did not help either. Um, Let's take a very quick break. And when we come back, we'll do the Bet365 standings watch. I got back to your text. Lots of text line questions. We'll get back to all of your text line questions. And John Schneider did just speak to the media. So we'll hear a little bit from John Schneider on what he thought he saw from Jose Barrios in a, a less than ideal second start of the season. You're listening to JSOC Show Alley with you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to JSOC. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network, show Ali with you. Also streaming live on Sportsnet.ca and on the Sportsnet app. Jays lose 9-5 against the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Barrios going four innings, giving up six runs, four of them earned. He did have five strikeouts but uh, and, and just the one walk, but ultimately uh, did give up some important runs when it mattered most. Jays now 5-4. and four on the season uh, before we get back to the text line time for the major league standings watch presented by bet three, six, five download the bet three, six, five app and check out the latest odds for today's baseball games. 19 plus play responsibly Ontario only. So of course, because the blue Jays played in the late game, all of the games in the AL East are now over. So here's how things shake out in the division after all of the games today. Quick recap. Also, these are the uh, results for the rest of the AL East today. Uh, Red Sox at Tigers, Boston crushed Detroit at Comerica. They won 14 to five. Rafael Devers hit two home runs, a grand slam and a solo bomb. Uh, Raimel Tapia, our old pal, a pal hit a two run bomb as well. His first of the season yanks at O's New York wins that one four to one. Giancarlo Stanton crushing just another massive bomb and uh, athletics at Rays Tampa just destroyed Oakland 11, nothing Rays have the fourth highest run differential. The first eight games of a season in the history of Major League Baseball. If you guys didn't hear this, this is actually pretty wild. The three teams above them in that same first eight games of a season, all from the 1880s. The 1884 St. Louis Maroons, the 1884 New York Gothams, and the 1884 Providence Grays. Those are some terrific names. I'm kind of sad that they're not called the New York Gothams. I think that just kind of sounds cool. Um, I'm also a huge nerd that likes Batman, so that's probably the only reason. Um, the ALE standings are as follows. Tampa Bay, they are 8-0 after their win. The Yanks after their win, 5-3. The Blue Jays after their loss, 5-4. Baltimore, 4-4 four four after losing to the Yankees. And Boston, 4-4 four four as well. So pretty tight in the division, but it's also April, well, April 8th for much of the game, and now April 9th here on the East Coast. So again, it's very early, but then, again, you know... 
looking at the Braves being 8-0, I said this yesterday, but I'm not really sure it means all that much when you're beating teams like the Athletics, the Nationals, and the Tigers to start the season. And then the Red Sox also beating up on the Tigers. So what that tells me is that in a couple of days, when the Tigers come to Rogers Center, the Blue Jays, in theory, should also beat up on the Tigers. You would you would think. Who who knows? But uh, the way that's the way she goes with baseball sometimes. But I'm I'm hoping for good things when it comes to uh, when it comes to the opening series at the Rogers Center in a couple of days starting Tuesday, uh, April 11th. Um, let's hear some audio real quick because I know you guys were curious as to what what John Schneider is seeing in Jose Barrios. And I, I see a text here on the text line, again, 590-590. This is from Will in Toronto, and I appreciate you staying up late, Will. He, said, he, he just says, how much rope does Barrios have? So let's hear from Schneider on what he saw from Barrios after a, another lackluster start. I mean, I thought... <laughs> Again, really good start, really strong stuff, and then got hurt with pitches in the middle of the plate. So, um, you know, you look at the Rengifo homer, I think just a couple two-strike pitches that caught too much of the plate. Um, Just got to be on the edges a little bit more and execute. Um, Spin was really, really good. Kind of lost a little bit as he went on. Um, So, yeah, just, again, it comes down to execution, especially late in the count. I mean, we'd much rather that be the case, you know, and say tip your hat to the, you know, to the hitter as opposed to, you know, making it a little bit easier on them. So, I mean, some of it is baseball, but some of it, I think, too, when, you know, homers that are, you know, opposite field homers to Rengifo, you want to you wanna try to avoid things like that. So, um, again, we've always said if guys are going to be really, you know, put together good at bats and have good swings on tough pitches, great. Just want to avoid balls in the middle of the plate. I mean, I don't think it's anything mechanical or, you know, it just comes down to, you know, trusting that you're going to execute. And I think it's more thought process of, okay, I got to where I got to, and now let's make it a little bit better. You know, I think sometimes pitchers, when they get ahead, they try to throw that really, really good pitch and they end up missing. So, you know, I don't think it's anything. Again, Hosey's been really good for a long time. So I think it's just bearing down and making a pitch when you need to. I mean, man, Hosey's going to be a big part of what we're doing this year and beyond. You know what I mean? So, again, his stuff, his stuff, if his stuff was down or if his stuff wasn't where it is, it'd be a little bit concerning, and that's absolutely not the case. Um, so, you know, you just... You know, he's going to get on a roll. You know, you, you start executing, you get an outing or two under your belt, he's going to be totally fine. That does not sound like someone who is prepared to take Jose Barrios out of the starting rotation. If that's your, if that's what you're wondering about, that does not sound like someone who's taking him out anytime soon. Barrios is going to be making those starts every fifth day, probably like probably for the rest of the season. Like I know the, the, we just talked about it in the first half of the show about whether it was Hyunjin Ryu could take that spot or Mitch White or whatever. I is probably none of that's going to happen is the, is the reality partly because of the contract I'm sure. And the years left on the contract, but also I'm sure partly because of they they truly seem to believe in his stuff. And again, the slurve, that slurvy curveball, as Blake referred to, it looked very good today. It was very good. It's just all the other stuff. And it, as much as I would like to see Burrios push the slurve usage up to uh, 70%, let's call it, can you survive as a starting pitcher and be the, the number three and number four starter in a rotation by throwing a slurve 70% of the time? Probably not. Probably not. You do, as we all know, as I said before, you do need to keep the batters honest with your velo pitches and the the, the sinker, the the four-seamer, uh, they were not they were not very effective. Really, they weren't effective at all. He tried, he seemed to have some confidence with it early on, but that did not uh that did not get much better. As the uh, as the game went on, uh, I wanted to go back to this aspect of 
Brian's text. He was talking about Bichette fielding before hitting, kicks the ball for another error. How can they keep going with him at short? And I had seen a couple other ones here. Uh, oh, yeah, this was Tim from Hamilton. They love Simber. Maybe that was part of the reasoning, but that decision de- definitely made me scratch my head. Shame about Barrio. Seemed promising. It definitely did, Tim. Uh, but he seems fragile right now and a bad feeling after the bow boot. And, oh, here's the other one. Greg from Athens, Ontario. I said three years ago that we will never win with Bo at short. Have some, <laughs> have some balls management to make the move. His feelings will only be hurt for a bit. So here's the thing with Bo. We saw, we've seen quite a few errors from the Jays so far in this series. Three in the first game last night, two tonight. So some sloppy throws and, and fielding errors early on. I do expect that to be ironed out as the season continues, but it is funny because as we got the full Barrios experience tonight, we also got the full Bo Bichette experience tonight as well, right? We saw him hit a monster three-run, a two-run bomb early on. His second strike game with a homer after some heroics in the first game of the series. And then as we discussed, like a a really bad fielding error where it looked like he legitimately just boots with his foot, the ball into right field, like Bo giveth and Bo taketh away tonight. Uh, As we saw, I, I don't think it's particularly crazy. And Barker has talked about this a lot on Blair and Barker and on Jay's talk as well. So there's hardly a hot take here, but I don't think it's particularly crazy to say that even though Bo's defense, I, I do think it's gotten better that it's nowhere near where we would all like it to be. He is, and it's the truth, a below average defender. There's no doubt about it. The other half of it, and I think this kind of goes to Greg's point, is that he is also an elite hitter. And there is also no doubt about that either. Like there are few players in baseball that can do the things Bo does at the plate. And I truly, truly believe that for the Blue Jays, based on the way they treated him, the contract negotiations to for the arbitration years, the way they talk about him in the media, the way the way he is front and center for this franchise. I truly believe that for them, the difference between the bat and the glove is because it's made up for by the success at the plate. It's enough that he will likely always be the starting shortstop while he is on this team. Does that mean he all, does that mean he will always bat in the top four? Probably. I wouldn't mind, I actually wouldn't mind seeing bow back cleanup, but the way Matt Chapman has been playing so far has been just phenomenal. So I don't really know. You can change things from Springer, Bo, Vladdy, Chapman, at the very least right now, maybe depending on who the opposing pitcher is. Maybe you see Varsho bat, uh, bat cleanup sometimes as we have so far early in the season and you see Chapman bat fifth, but that's probably the, like you're probably not going to see unless one of them is just sitting in one game. You're probably not going to see the top five change too, too much, but Bo Bichette is locked in as the everyday starting shortstop on this team, because the other half of it is who are you replacing him with? Like who, who is replacing Bo Bichette at shortstop? Is it really going to be like Arelvis Martinez? I don't know. I don't think so. Is it going to be Addison Barger? Probably not. Those are your likely your internal options. Are you really, do you really want to put Santiago Espinal at short given what we see from him offensively? I don't think so. Even though he is clearly capable of doing it defensively, it's a matter of, it's a, I think it's a matter of like your your kind of like your risk tolerance to a certain degree as to how much you value what a defensive shortstop brings versus what an offensive shortstop brings. And it, it certainly seems like right now the Blue Jays value what the offensive aspect of his game brings given given the presence of Chapman at third or given the presence of any of Merrifield Espinal Biggio at second base. I wouldn't hate seeing Bo at second, but it just, it's probably not going to happen. That's the, that's the reality. Um, we talked about a little about Matt Chapman uh, and we talked about him last night and how he had that booming hit to center field that would have been a homer in a bunch of other stadiums, but you know, died on the warning track. Not tonight. He annihilated 
Oh my goodness. That Tyler Anderson ball first, first dinger of the year. He looks terrific. Phenomenal. He is seeing the ball so well. We're still seeing phenomenal defense. Also, for example, on that uh, Hunter Renfro RBI double early on the ball just gets past Chapman at third. And I, I saw that and even though it gets past him and you can even go back to the, the opening game of the season or with uh, not the opening game, the Gosman start when the ball dribbles up the third baseline also past him. Very similar, very a little similar in terms of those two plays. My question, how many third basemen in all of baseball are even getting close to that ball? Not many if any of them. And Chapman was still inches from making a stop. So he, he actually seemed to be, I don't know if you guys saw this, but he seemed to be giving himself kind of like a, a stern talking to as well. So nothing new for Chapman tonight because he has been, I, I think amazing through nine games, a uh, part and parcel of that. I, I didn't love the decision to send Bo with Chapman at the plate because Chapman, again, it's a bit of hindsight, but because Chapman later laces the double to the wall, I'm not sure it was entirely necessary given the way Chapman has been playing, but hey, I guess we'll have to see if that was a bow decision or a, a bench decision. Either way, not a good decision. Um, either way, whether it was Bo or, or Schneider, um, I know you guys likely watch the Sportsnet feed because, like, why wouldn't you? They're quote unquote our feed. I say our not as a Sportsnet employee, but like as a Canadian who watches the Blue Jays. But had you watched the Bali Sports West feed today, they actually showed an interesting snippet about Chapman I saw here at Baseball Control. Let me play it for you here, and then we'll we'll discuss quickly before we go. Matt Chapman and the adjustment he has made. Take a look at our frontier play sense. The hands different. Last season, how high straight up as far as the bat and where he's at, it's more difficult to be able to catch up the pitch. Now he's bringing the hands down more so, and you're seeing some consistent hard contact. That slight hands bringing it down allowing him to get through the baseball two-run home run tonight. Six doubles, now a home run on the season for Chapman. An adjustment with his hands. Uh, I find that interesting. That's the Bali Sports West crew tonight. Uh, you can look look out for that as we go forward this season because his hands are noticeably closer to his helmet, like to his head, a little bit lower down, gripping the bat a little differently. And if that is helping him there, it's a it's a great change to see because it's true. We saw we saw a lot of balls last year hit out to the warning track, and they just seem to die. He seems to be hitting the ball. Certainly just from a mental aspect, more decisively, but he just seems to be seeing the ball better. When you combine that with a slight change to his, 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 his stance at the plate, it's great. I look forward to another massive season into which he is well underway. He actually, after that clip, had another extra base hit, um, which we just talked about on the bow decision. So even though he, he just hit his first home run of the season tonight, I, I can't wait to see him with the new dimensions um, at Rogers Center. Uh, before we go, real quick, Alejandro Kirk is someone I wanted to quickly discuss. He looks a little out of sorts to start the season, and I can't help but think this is 100% related to his late arrival at spring training, right? Like, the late arrival was enough to take him out of playing at the WBC. It was late enough to ensure he didn't play for the first half of spring training, essentially. And let's be clear, he was late because his wife was extremely pregnant and she gave birth to a healthy baby. So that that's, like, the best possible reason to be late for literally anything, I dare say. But because he was late... He obviously didn't get as much time as he'd usually get in the spring campaign. I wonder if he's just a bit behind where he would otherwise be like less ABs in spring, less time for conditioning, less time to get in rhythm with your pitchers. Of course, he's a catcher, less time to get in rhythm at the plate. I know they were very confident in where he was during the spring when they were talking about him, re- him rejoining the team, but the illness to Danny Jansen does seem to have put a slight wrench into a tandem that would, maybe this is a homer take, but would normally, in my opinion, be considered probably a top three catching tandem in all of baseball. And at the very least right now, as things stand, um, it, it doesn't look like it, but I do I do look forward to that getting back on track as soon as Danny Jansen 
uh, is healthy. Uh, thanks for listening to Blue Jays Baseball, brought to you by Crown Rust Protection. Did you know spring is the best time of year to protect your vehicle from rust? Find out why and book your appointment today at crown.com. Crown, Canada's number one rust protection. That does it for Jays Talk tonight. For Ben Wagner, Blake Murphy, Tom Young, Andrew Adams, Nick Blackmore, that does it here across the network. I appreciate the interaction as always. Jay's wrapping up a 9-5 to loss to the Angels. I'm back tomorrow for more Jay's talk. Ben Shulman will be alongside me to wrap up the series. Take your calls and text. Yusei Kikuchi will be on the mound. Have a great night, guys. Sleep t- Sleep tight. We'll talk to you then.